what is a Minecraft, and how do you tame a horse in it? Welcome to episode 15 of the Analog Sticks podcast. Come one, come all, for this week, we're getting uh, a little smart on you guys, and we're going to examine how Minecraft is changing society. Woo! guys, my name is Cody, his name is Rusty, what up? and today I am taking the reins and we're about to talk how Minecraft influences design. Um, I, you know, we're at the part of uh, the school semester where I'm really just locking myself in a room and looking at words all day, so I'm going to have you guys suffer through the same thing, and we're going to talk about some real high-level stuff. I hope you're ready for this. <laughs> but before we go, um, you know, we need to talk a little bit about... What is a Minecraft? That's a fantastic question. See, I barely know what a Minecraft is, but basically the premise is, for those of you under the age of three or over the age of 35 who don't know what Minecraft is, we've got that all laid out for you, don't worry. Basically, Minecraft is virtual Legos. <laughs> Your character gets plopped into a massive world untouched by humans for the most part and lets you have at it. One of the defining characteristics of the game is that everything is on a three-dimensional grid and everything's made of blocks, so it's literally just video game legos which is awesome <laughs> and once you start your game you can craft your world and make it take whatever shape you want you can clear cut a forest you can dig a pit to the bottom of the world or you can build a society if that's what you're into but additionally there is a story more of a plot really i guess you could call it we aren't here to talk about that but i wrote a burn for it nonetheless would you like to hear this cody a burn for minecraft i am ready to hear this let's see what you've got cooking <clears throat> Wow, this world is so neat! Let's punch some trees! After getting all different kinds of stone and reinventing the wheel, we use some freshly stolen eyes and find a hole to the end where we can defeat the aptly named Ender Dragon to end the game. So to recap, you get some stuff, to get some more stuff, to get some more stuff, to win. <laughs> Shortest burn in Analog Sticks history. May uh, say that way that... for a while. <laughs> <laughs> while that is the essence of the plot, uh, you know, I got to come in and say that is like maybe 5% of the game. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the rest of it and, you know, how uh, how the game works and how that might impact people. I feel like um, this game is one of those ones more so designed for you to just run around and screw around in, which is which is awesome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I respect that. Oh, it's definitely. done very well as a result of it. But Cody, I've got to ask you, will Minecraft change the future of design? Oh, Yes. But the real question, my friend, is how it will change design. But before we can talk about this, we are going to have to cover some background. Um, this is um, so. This episode might be a little bit different because we're going to go over just this kind of idea that I've had floating around in my head for the past couple months, and I've been super excited to get this out. We're going to see though how effectively I get this out and how entertaining it can be. Um, I genuinely think that, you know, the things that kids grow up playing with can eventually uh, express itself later in life. You know, so many kids now are playing Minecraft who are one day going to be architects and designers. And so it might be worth looking at Minecraft and seeing, you know, if this is their first experience was that kind of thing, then who knows? You know, how is that going to impact their thoughts and decisions regarding how they see the world around them. Um, 
Of course, there are lots of things that can affect the, uh, uh, I don't know, the, the future of designers. You know, kids grow up in a society. We live in one, funny enough. Uh, things like conflict, new ideas, emerging problems, all that sort of stuff uh, comes together and affects how you see the world. And of course, one of those big things, though, is toys and games. Especially for us here on the podcast, I would say that toys and games are like a big part of our childhood and how we see the world today. Maybe at least a small portion of it. But I've got to say, you, you, you bring up this idea that all kind of toys affect how we view the world and maybe even our philosophy. Would you say that something like dolls or action figures, for instance, are a good example of that? I mean, just off the top of my head, that's kind of the first things that came to my mind. I, I do believe that the, the things kids play with can kind of, not only does it inform how they see the world, but really when toys are designed by people, they're designed by people who also see the world in a certain way. And even if it's subconscious, you know, people will impart some of their own beliefs worldviews or philosophies into the toys that they make for kids. Uh, one example is Barbies. You know, way back in the day when they were first made, I think it, it kind of represented this idea of like what women should be and what women can do, right? Barbie had all of her very feminine jobs. She was uh, a super feminine character and the girls would play with them. The idea was that you like play with their hair and play dress up with them. And then meanwhile, boys had their own action figures, big buff superheroes, whatever. Um, but yeah, uh, even even toys that aren't social like that, you know, uh, I don't freaking marble tracks, you know, have this idea <laughs> of uh, <laughs> engineering and putting the world together in a logical kind of sense, exploring physics and how stuff works. I think, you know, the, the kinds of people who design marble tracks are interested in nerdy kind of moving parts like that, and that gets imparted into the kids. What about something a little more modern? I mean, you're saying stuff like even marbles and action figures have a, have an effect on the way we see the world. What about something more modern like, oh god, I don't know, a bop it, because those aren't 15 years old at this point. <laughs> what, what about bop it? Does that have any effect on society? <laughs> What's a better example than a bop it? Oh my god. <laughs> I know, um... Maybe not every toy has to <laughs> impart a specific philosophy, um, but it still certainly can teach you something. You know, it, I don't think there's very many toys or games that are completely vacuous and empty of anything. Boppets um, can reinforce, you know, social ability between the people playing it. Um, a, a lot like video games, there's a lot of hand-eye coordination and quick thinking that has to but, go into it. But more it. importantly, in a boppet, boppet. Twist it. Pull it. <laughs> it's seared into my brain for the rest of my life. Because that's going to prove useful one day. <laughs> you know, I've played with boppets, but I don't know if I've ever, like, just had a whole boppet round with somebody, you know? I, I think that I did when I got one for Christmas, like, probably 15 years ago. <laughs> do you still have a boppet? I actually think we do still have a boppet buried in the closet somewhere. I could try to Bro, dig we up. we gotta record that. We gotta play some and just put it up on the channel. Yep, let's play Bop It. Coming soon. <laughs> it might actually, who knows? If you guys want to see us play Bop It, just uh, leave a comment down there, you know? Yeah, leave a review that says Bop It. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, uh, so now, you know, we've talked a little bit about how toys might affect kids. And uh, I'm going to say, this is an academic, I'm going to make a lot of 
hard, definitive statements that probably aren't true at all. <laughs> but this is just me talking about my crackpot ideas, right? Hey, but we're on the internet, so people will believe what they hear. That's right. People will believe it. Um, some people won't believe any of it and just call us stupid and other mean words we have to censor. Well, a lot but of the time, they're not, a lot of the time they're not wrong. But <laughs> yeah. So here's one example where where actually you pushed back a little bit, and I, you know, I appreciate that. But I still believe this. I think recently, you know, kids have had less unstructured outdoor time. Not every kid. But definitely a lot of kids have had that experience of more time indoors, less time to just run around free, do whatever, you know? See, yeah, when we were first going through the, kind of the general flow of this episode, I mean, what we wanted it to be, you brought this up, and I, my first thought was, like, maybe for you, kids had less structured, out, less unstructured outside time. I personally, like, lived life outside if it was sunny. I spent more time cut up by, by like, briars and stuff than not. So maybe that's why you're a little smarter than me, but I was always outside as a kid, and I thoroughly enjoyed that, looking back at it. But I, I see what you're saying. I'm... Not necessarily a fluke, but a dying breed, if you will. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> While I was playing Minecraft on the computer, you were playing Minecraft in real life. No, me and my friends were just seeing how far we could jump and seeing if Beating it would hurt if up. we jumped out of a tree and <laughs> seeing who could climb the highest <laughs> and then falling. And we went to the ER Climbing a lot. Climbing on top of each other. <laughs> oh my gosh. Story time for those of you who want this. Wait, can you talk about the chicken fights? Okay, this is what I was just going to go into. So Cody and I met when we started high school. We went to a different high school you actually had to apply to. Still public, mm -hmm. but they, they kind of vetted out the extra dumb kids. Actually, they only took, like, the smart kids. Don't know how I ended up there. But nonetheless, Cody was one of the first instances of a friend that I didn't grow up with. And when I brought mm. Cody to my house to meet all the friends I did grow up with, Cody experienced a new part of the world that he'd never seen before. Culture shock. My friends decided to play into this as much as they possibly could. We did a lot of dumb stuff. A lot of just, like... Seeing who can stick their hands in an anthill the longest without giving up, for instance. <laughs> Dumb stuff like that. Yeah. My friends thought it would be a good idea to do chicken fights with when Cody's over. None of us had a pool. What? What's a chicken fight again? So, basically, we would put... One person would put another person on their shoulders, and we would charge at each other, duos, and trying to knock the person on top off the person on the bottom. We're just doing this in the backyard. We're probably, mm -hmm. like, what, 15? Maybe? I think it was like my 15th birthday or something. So it's December, it's cold. And one of my friends decided to do the triple-decker chicken fight. <laughs> and I just remember, I remember hearing him say, don't drop me on the concrete. And then as soon as he went up, he dropped him on the concrete. And that was a priceless moment. But yeah, so me and my friends were <laughs> dumb and outside a bunch. But we were talking about all these kinds of toys and how they have impacts on the world. I don't think triple-decker chicken fights had any impact on the world, <laughs> albeit maybe a negative one. But I love the story. I remember <laughs> when we did chicken fights, I won a round, but I, I was always the top kid because I, like, I was super skinny back then and tiny, so I could be on top. Um, we had a move where I would stick my arms all the way out, T-pose, and the bottom guy would just spin. And so my arms would swing, swing around until I clotheslined somebody. That's how we won. It was surprisingly Anyways, effective. You know, it's funny. On our script, I wrote the idea that, like, modern kids are having less unstructured time. And I had I didn't follow that up with anything. So, so why did I write that? 
Um, I think games like Minecraft, which are more sandbox and are really popular with kids, I think part of why it's popular is because from the confines of your of your indoor space, you get to have that unstructured do-whatever time. Albeit a lot safer than a chicken fight. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now that we've talked about, you know, toys, I want to talk about a few really specific toys that actually have affected the design world. This is stuff in my research where you can actually draw a real connection, and professional researchers have. The first one is Froebel's Gifts. I'm going to put a disclaimer out there. I didn't know what Froebel's Gifts were until we started working on this prep sheet a couple days ago, and it is honestly really cool. <laughs> yeah, it's. I know about it through, through college. I'm in the School of Education, so this is one of the things we learn about. It's kind of a foundational part of of our modern idea of teaching. Uh, the toys were developed about 200 years ago as part of the common school movement. That's the idea that all kids should be taught a standardized curriculum. It's, it's something so basic that I think a lot of people take for granted that the way we teach our kids today is like a very designed experience. You know, we, we didn't just happen to start doing school like this. It, it took people sitting down in a room being like, okay, you know, now that we're industrialized and we're all working jobs that aren't farming, you know, how are we going to teach kids? Uh, yeah. Froebel was on the path to becoming an architect, actually, instead of in, uh, in, in education. But he eventually switched over to it when some people around him convinced him to do so. Um, I personally relate to this. Uh, I started out in engineering and I switched to tech education. Going from engineering to education can bring a different type of perspective than than people are just teaching. So in this movement, childhood development kind of becomes standardized, and Froebel's gifts are a big part of that. Uh, these gifts are given to children in a certain order as they age to aid their education. Uh, it emphasizes things like order and logic and essentialism, the idea of everything it has a definitive definition, there's no gray areas, that sort of thing. This is this is actually a really cool concept. Would you say that this is like the same kind of structure we still see in a classroom today with the what is it the common school movement or whatever it was? I feel like this is some of the stuff you see in like a kindergarten class with like the the star shaped box where you have to put the star in the star shaped hole. Like those kinds of early school toys you see that teach this kind of structure and essentialism as you said. Yeah, that's a really good example of how those toys have evolved today. Uh, anything with like rigid lines or structure can can be seen as an evolution of Froebel's gifts. And unfortunately, our schools are still set up the same. Actually, uh, they shouldn't be. We're we're not the same as we were 200 years ago. School nowadays uh, kind of doesn't work. And that's been a big conversation in education. Is you know how do we cope with how fast the world is changing? But anyways, that is a whole different conversation. Uh, these toys. Although invented 200 years, they were more introduced and popularized in uh, the mid to late 1800s. So these toys, they were introduced like 200 years ago, mid 19th yeah. century, like you're saying. How long, so you're saying that these have changed society. How long would you say it took before those effects were seen in the world? It, it took a long time. Um, the toys were developed in the mid 1800s. They weren't really adopted until the late 1800s, and then the kids playing with them had to grow up for any influence of it to be seen. 
so really, the effect of these toys uh, probably took about a century to take hold. And you really start seeing it, though, after World War II uh, in the 40s and 50s with the emergence of modernism. Because, you know, 70 years ago is so modern. But I, I really want you to catch me up here. You're not necessarily losing me, but I don't know what modernism is in this context. I feel like that's a term people just throw out all the time about so many different things. What, what would you define modernism as in this kind of design philosophy? Yeah, um, modernism, I think a lot of people, when they hear that, they might think of like modern art, you know, the kind of bullshit dumb easy stuff that you could do yourself that's that's where but, my head goes <laughs> yeah but that's just one little piece of it uh modernism totally changed how we see the world uh even today we we live in a post-modern society i'm doing air quotes uh because modern <laughs> modernism was such a big deal that anything we think of now has to be named after modernism <laughs> um it, it basically asked society now that we're industrialized, what do we do? You know, how, how are we going to make the world look? Uh, it emphasized structure, conformity, minimalism. Uh, if you think of modernist buildings, I, I'm not sure, you know, what everyone in the audience might think of, but it, it tends to be those really simple shaped type of buildings. Imagine Frank Lloyd Wright uh, falling water. If you don't know what that is, feel free to look it up. Uh, you'll prob you've probably seen an example of it before, you just don't know the name. Uh, super famous building. Yeah, and um, when you say minimalism in this context, or like mm -hmm. simplicity, you're just trying to say, basically, somebody's trying to convey their design in the most, in the most basic way possible while still getting the point across? Or is it something Yeah, uh, so before modernism, we had... Um, I know most people can think of a Victorian house, right? Like those haunted house type mansions, that sort of thing. Or even those colonial. Houses... <laughs> colonial, mm -hmm. very <laughs> practical. Uh, but Victorianism came before this, and that was like, everything was super decorative, super detailed. There was just a lot of stuff going on. Every room was filled with a crap ton of little knickknacks and things. Modernism was like, I hate that. I want as little <laughs> stuff as possible. Uh... <laughs> And so many modernists grew up with these, uh, with these gifts, Froebel's gifts, like uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, who I mentioned earlier. Uh, it came after industrialization, um, and although modernism, there's a lot of things that uh, brought modernism to the forefront, not just Froebel's gifts, but Froebel's gifts was definitely a big part of it. And so I'm thinking maybe Minecraft is kind of like that. Our world is changing really fast, and... I couldn't tell you what it's going to look like in 20 years, but part of me is certain that Minecraft might be able to have a role somehow. Any small part there might be for it, it's there. Are you suggesting more blocky buildings on city streets, or are you suggesting more of just unique design philosophies we haven't seen? We'll get to that. We'll get to that pretty oh, soon. Oh, okay. I'm jumping ahead. Um, that was just a question. That's not on the sheet. I was wondering. <laughs> yeah, I like that question, though. You're right. Um, I, I don't imagine... So we're not we're not going to get blocky <laughs> Minecraft-textured houses. We're not going to get dirt shacks everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> we're um, not getting Lego buildings of... either, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we'll get to it later. There's a lot of underlying concepts and uh, ideas within Minecraft that I think might be emphasized. Uh, but before that, I want to talk about Lego. We're talking about blocky structures. I think you said Lego just earlier. Uh, Lego 
was made right around the time of the plastic revolution. Dude, I feel like people in society don't talk about how big of a deal, how big of a deal plastic is. Is is that just? I feel like plastics everywhere. And just to think, 150 years ago, it didn't exist. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, if you're listening to this, if you're sitting at home uh, inside, just look around you and start counting how many things are made of plastic that you can see. And by the way, there's plenty of things that are made from plastic that you might not even realize are plastic. Uh, my computer. There's so many, even parts inside the chips and everything involve plastic. The case, my keyboard, the, the screen has I plastic. I mean, I'm everything. just looking at my desk and everything on my desk has at least one plastic component from the TV remote to the lamp, the little base of the lamp, to this little claptrap figurine I have from Borderlands 2. I mean, like you're saying, my keyboard, my Switch has a lot of plastic on it. I mean, this mm -hmm. mic arm has plastic on it. Plastic's everywhere. It, it is. It's crazy. And, and so, they made Legos out of it. And they made Legos out of it. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. <laughs> so in the way that Froebel's gifts came with, like, industrialization and, and modernism came with industrialization, Lego is a – it comes hand-in-hand hand with the plastic revolution. Um, you, you know, for example, uh, there's this really cool video my family made where they interviewed my great-grandpa in 2000. Uh, he was almost, if he wasn't in his 90s, he was almost in his 90s at the time. And they asked him, w in your opinion, what's the most important invention in your lifetime? And he didn't say computers, he said plastic. Because it totally changed, you know, how the world looks to him. It changed how everything's um, manufactured. I mean, literally everything. <laughs> yeah. And this is an example of an important childhood experience, being able to play with Legos, it comes at the intersection between, um, you know, technology, the plastic revolution, and inspiration. You know, the guy who invented Legos just had a really good idea. Um, and, and he was able to use plastic with that idea. Let's make uh, stackable Lego bricks, has... and then there's this new plastic thing that they can be made out of. Yeah. He actually started coming up with Lego before... He was using plastic, and then he realized that plastic was the perfect thing to use for it. They started out with wood, and it Ooh. didn't work very well. Yeah, uh, anyways, not very malleable. <laughs> Lego is this modular system that emphasized, once again, order and logic. You'll see that again in Minecraft. There's some things that kind of carry through. <clears throat> but unlike Froebel's Gifts, Lego was much less structured. Froebel's Gifts, it was like, here are the instructions, here's exactly how you give it to your kids and what they're supposed to do. Lego, you know, everyone knows this, unless you're just building sets to display it, usually when you're a kid, Lego is just a bin of bricks, and you're free to do whatever you want with it. Oh, if you didn't build a rainbow Lego house as a kid, you did not live life. But what, mm -mm. what I'm hearing you say is that Legos, they still encourage some kind of a structure like Froebel's Gifts did, but they allow kids to be much more creative and independent in the way that they play with them. It kind of lets kids do their own thing for the first time in essentially generations is what I'm hearing. Yeah, imagine the experience of growing up um, in the 40s or 50s. It's very rigid. It's like you, you know, you do exactly what your parents say. You don't dare question them, all that. Uh, that started changing in the, I think, I'd say the 80s, 70s. Probably 70s. Um, but yeah. So, so now today, architects often use Lego as a drafting tool when they're first coming up with ideas for buildings. It's really easy to take out a bin of Legos and just put things together to kind of uh, 
make a 3D draft, if you will, rather than writing it down on paper. Although I did, when I was researching this, there were a lot of architects who were like offended at the idea that Lego might have some sort of influence on architects today. Uh, I will say though, a lot of architects are kind of elitist uh, from my experience. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like those. That sounds like dads who refuse to admit that they get their dad jokes from SpongeBob, and they say they only watch it because their kids like it, but they they know they do too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They they. Uh, uh, I think Lego. I think Lego totally had an effect. A lot of architects and designers grew up playing with Legos. For them, it was like their first experience building or engaging with any kind of building. So when Lego is your first experience, that is your base foundation and everything else is built upon that lego might not be lego's effect might not even be fully seen or understood yet uh, since it was still in the early days in the 70s and 80s you know it really blew up in the 90s and 2000s so architecture being an older field with i say older as in there's like older people you know working as architects it might still be a few decades before we see younger people coming in who grew up with legos really making their own impact. Another big part of LEGO is modularity. Uh, it's a key aspect of the Industrial Revolution, uh, but LEGO also introduces kids to modular systems in a very clear way early on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was just looking at some stuff. I'm trying to find this. I remember seeing some buildings that they straight up tried to make look like they're made of Legos all over the world. And there are so many buildings that are already out there that are just, you can tell. This is like, oh, this is somebody just, took Legos and made it. Yes, precisely. They've even done like the fun colors and stuff like that. It, it's, it's so crazy. But what you're kind of suggesting here, what I'm, again... This is my interpretation of it. This is the common man's interpretation of this intellectual discussion. <laughs> You're basically saying that as the children grow, they're impacted by the things they play with. In this case, Lego. And I'm thinking that this is going to lead us into Minecraft, isn't it? Yeah. So <laughs> this is the line we're taking. Froebel's Gifts influences modernism. Lego uh, is influencing architecture and design today. If you go outside and look at a lot of new buildings, uh, they tend to be built usually as cheaply as possible, just simply because of, uh, you know, how uh, our supply chain is right now. Things are getting expensive. But you also see that lots of buildings nowadays are very modular, and they have these very specific parts and pieces that uh, you can see kind of click together when they're designing it in a computer or whatnot. I will say I do work in new construction. I do termitocide pretreatments. It's a blast. <laughs> but you see it. They drop off, we call them the framing packages, and it's essentially all the wood needed to build a house. And so many of the pieces are already come assembled. I don't know if the builders are sending in their measurements and they're having them custom made or what it is, but a lot of the work is already done. They just have to get cranes in there to put it all together on the house. And there's this one new building neighborhood, I guess, near my house that it just rectangular buildings and it looks like something i would have made out of legos when i was five i don't know <laughs> yeah and in that that idea of the idea of making a house or building like that is older than lego but lego lets kids engage in that pretty young we need even something so like anyways, lincoln logs before i don't know when those yeah. were introduced not important lincoln logs, <laughs> by the way fun fact lincoln logs were invented by the son of frank lloyd wright that's actually pretty cool i didn't know that <laughs> yeah. All right, we're at the halfway point of this podcast. <laughs> uh, 
if we were a bigger podcast, this would be the ad break, but we're not. So we're going to keep on trucking. But we will say, we we will say, Mm -hmm. though, subscribe. That's right. Subscribe, like it, rate, review, whatever. It helps. We appreciate it. If you've listened this far, please, it helps, honestly. (laughs) But yeah, now, Minecraft. (laughs) Minecraft, finally. Um, Part of me wants this episode to at least feel a little bit like our usual video game episodes. Um, So let's talk about Minecraft in the same way we talk about other video games. But this time, we're actually making a point when we talk about the game. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, Russ, what is your experience with Minecraft? Uh, I know it wasn't too, too much. You're going to appreciate this, I think. I'm basically a Minecraft pro. Uh, Uh You introduced me to the game that freshman year, that same time we were getting into triple-decker chicken fights. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think I never really played PC games. I played World of Warcraft. That was something my father and I did. It was a lot of fun. But I never really played PC games outside of that. World of Warcraft was the one game I had on my computer because it was simple to run and all that stuff. So it was a little bit of a weird experience for me getting into Minecraft. I built a small house. I died a bunch of times. Then I built a fence with a very well-illuminated yard, and I was content at that point. After that, I never really played Minecraft again. But I have seen a lot of speedruns and stuff, so I basically know what's going on at any point. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, if I remember right, didn't you make a bunch of chickens? Oh my god, I forgot about that, you're right. I remember it being overrun to the point that my dinky little laptop couldn't take it. It was lagging so bad, because I think I started <laughs> breeding chickens, and then I'm like, they won't stop doing it! <laughs> I'm pretty oh. sure that's why you stopped playing. <laughs> I think my computer was like, yeah, you can't do this anymore. <laughs> Too many chickens, you're done. Mm. Always surrounded so, by cocks. So that's <laughs> that's your experience. Uh, let's go over the the average Minecraft experience with uh, with someone who plays it a little bit more. You're telling me just breeding chickens and making a yard with a bunch of lights isn't average? <laughs> Actually, now that I think about it, that does sound pretty <laughs> average. That does sound right. <laughs> so, I remember back in the day, the, the initial attraction of Minecraft. This is for my OG players. You know what's up. Back in the day... It, the, the attraction was that it wasn't obvious how you play. It didn't hold your hand. Uh, part of the fun was not knowing what the heck was going on. So anything you accomplished was really satisfying. Dude, this I mean, is how I live my life. Game on. Hmm? <laughs> this is how I live my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not turn knowing what's on. going on, and when you do something, it's super satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> the, world, the game will just plop you down into a world, and it's like, figure it out, dude. <laughs> that's, that's the story of my life. But so, kind of this whole so you premise, start... you're saying it's like you're finding virtual like hidden pieces of candy in the world. Like, oh, now I can do this. I didn't know that this is how this works. But now it's like it kind of gives people the satisfaction of figuring it out on their own, which is something not everybody enjoys. But I do because that's, again, like I just said, that's how I live my life. Yeah. You, you start with nothing. And to make anything, you're going to have to collect materials. Uh, to make tools, to collect more materials, and then you use those materials to make more tools, and you repeat that a few times, uh, just like what you were saying in the beginning. And then you end up sitting here on a podcast talking about Minecraft. (laughs) (laughs) No, but sorry, I interrupted you. (laughs) So why do people play the game? Uh, Well, if you need the game to uh, give you a goal, it kind of does that. They did that almost in an obligatory manner. There was a couple boss fights uh, to access the end dragon battle boss 
you need the highest tier material so that you can go to a dimension where you'll find more high tier material so that you can go to the ender dimension to beat the ender dragon. Amazing gameplay, 10 out of 10. <laughs> but as fun as survival in the, in the story is, it's not why Minecraft has gotten as big as it is. And it's not why people keep playing. Personally, I think those aspects you're talking about, particularly the survival, they add a new aspect to a, let's call it a building-focused toy, if you will, and it kind of really revolutionizes that concept in my eyes, and it makes it even more engaging and immersive that it's not just, hey, you can build stuff, it's now, hey, there's stuff trying to attack you while you're trying to build stuff, and it just makes it a little more gamey and a little more engaging and immersive, as I said. I think that's really yeah, cool. Yeah, it's cool. Um, you know, Lego is you just build it and it's all your imagination, which and I think you... is awesome. I think that's really healthy for a kid to, to go in and use their imagination like that. But after you build it, you get to tear it down like Godzilla, and that's always really cool. Oh, it's so fun. Hey, <laughs> Minecraft, you, can, you got TNT. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Uh, <laughs> but so... Before Minecraft, games kind of struggled to give players a real sense of freedom. Uh, they were limited by how powerful computers were. Uh, a lot of games would, would try and do that, but ultimately, whatever you did was really dictated by the game designers. Minecraft, however, cracked the code on how to make emergent gameplay. Uh, that's where the player plays the game in ways that the developer maybe didn't intend. I think uh, Sims and SimCity... I was just about to say right the same that. thing, yeah. Yeah, Maxis in general, they did Spore. I remember growing up, Spore was awesome. That was um, that was a big deal for me in terms of freedom in a game. But I remember we you playing Spore on your computer in 2016. Hey, it's been <laughs> a long time. That might have been the, like, the last time I played it. And you were waiting for Fallout 4 to release on your Australia VPN, and you were playing Spore in the student lounge. <laughs> I remember that, because you just had yeah, it. Yeah, I was a... <laughs> well, we're both nerds, aren't we? You might be. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a guy heading a video game podcast. <laughs> Anyways, Minecraft completely changed the design world, uh, at least within the gaming world. <laughs> For a few years, I remember every game had to have a survival or crafting game loop. Dude, you're so right. Oh my god, I just almost destroyed my mic. You're so right, though. <laughs> I mean, I feel like there are so many games that just had crafting shoehorned in for no reason. I mean, mm -hmm. like, I think Assassin's Creed had a crafting system at one point, and, like, Fallout, didn't that have, like, a really bad one? But Fallout I remember there also... It just wasn't really that good. There are also some games that kind of more so focused on it after this, that kind of tried to follow in mine, Minecraft's footsteps, like Terraria or Rust. But mm -hmm. there are some egregious examples of people making different games and trying to be like, and it's also Minecraft! <laughs> that, that era, that, everything had to have crafting in some way. It was... It was what battle royales are now. I mean, I think we're coming to the yeah. end of that phase. But nowadays, everything has to be a battle royale in some way. There has to be a, a, a large multiplayer versus mode. But back then, you know, the, the, the long ages of five to ten years ago, everything had to have crafting. <laughs> yeah, and even even like stuff like Fortnite, you know, which is kind of the beginning of that battle royale uh, moment. Still has a crafting it a, element. It's own sort of crafting, yeah. You have to make your little huts and houses and stairs to, you know, block and get away from people. You gotta get the uh, high anyways, ground. Anyways, <laughs> uh, indie games, which were already starting to gain some pretty good traction before Minecraft came out, 
absolutely blew up with Minecraft. Shoutouts to Adam Robinson U and A Short Hike. We love that game. Did you see he also made like a pumpkin carving simulator and relaunched it for year like three or four? <laughs> he did? Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's on his Twitter. Uh, you can check that oh, out I later. I play that. <laughs> I love indie games. Yeah, shoutouts Adam Robinson so U. You're, you're so cool. Uh, the idea of playing a game before... <laughs> Moving on. Back to Minecraft. Playing... So playing a game before it finished developing was not something that happened all that much before Minecraft. Um, being able to have this mass user input became viable. In fact, there are some popular games that have come out <laughs> and have gone without ever being completed. They just come and go, they, they have their moment, and they were only on like alpha or beta, you know? I wish I could pull examples out of my butt right now, but I really can't. You I, know yeah, what I'm talking about. I can picture the concept. I, the I, I also don't have any examples if that makes you feel better. Awesome. <laughs> even today, even today, you can see Minecraft's influence pretty softly on games like The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, where it has its own little crafting system for food and potions, and it you know has this survival element that I think Minecraft did a really good job at bringing to uh, to the masses. I will say Minecraft does the whole food system better than Zelda, though, because it's realistic. You actually have to eat the food rather than just going into a menu and eating 400 apples to regain all your health <laughs> all at once. Uh, it's funny. You actually get that... <laughs> I, I wish I could remember where it was. I remember seeing an animation once where, like, it... it visually showed what that would have looked like to the enemies in Breath of the Wild, where they're, like, fighting Link, and then suddenly he has just a barrel full of apples that he chomps down in all one at once. <laughs> and just is ready to beat him up again. It's like uh, spinach. I feel like I've seen that, yeah. <laughs> it, and so since, since gaming now is one of the biggest entertainment mediums in the world, it's only getting bigger, it... I think, conceivably, Minecraft's influence in game design, production design, even sales philosophy could certainly spill over outside of the gaming realm. We might see that one day where, I don't know, maybe there's other industries that kind of adopt to how gaming works and how gaming likes to do things. We'll see. That'd be really Anyways, cool. That, yeah. This brings us to the final section of this podcast. Uh, the part where the script runs out, so we're going to have to be a little more freeform with this. We'll see how that works out. But I want to get really specific with Minecraft and design, and what is it about Minecraft that can change design in the future? We we've been fully primed. <laughs> this took way too long, but now we're at the good part. This is the part where I'm super excited to just <laughs> talk, 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 talk. <laughs> uh, the first thing we could talk about is environmentalism. That's one of the big leading problems of the world today. Uh, in preparation for this podcast, I actually got to talk to my design professor, and we were just talking a little bit about design. And he was saying how, you know, design in the future is always influenced by the problems of today. And a big problem today is climate change, how we use our resources, dwindling resources, and how do we share all that. Uh, Minecraft has a lot to do with that, too. Uh, when you build in Minecraft, it affects the world around it. Uh, if you're playing in survival, you have to collect the materials to make your stuff. So if you want a house in a forest, you're going to have to crack some eggs, chop some trees down. It's going to change how your environment looks, so you can then change the environment even more. There's an element of sustainability. I, I have one experience where I was playing on a server with some friends, and you know we, we went into the forest, 
and we wanted to build a village, so we cut down all the trees to get wood, but we got way too excited, and we literally cut down all the trees around us. So when we ran out of wood to use, we're like, oh, crap, now we have to go exploring for like half an hour just to find a tree so we can plant the sapling and get a forest going again. Uh, anarchy servers in Minecraft were like, anyone can join and do whatever. Saplings are like a super precious resource because everyone just gets on, cuts down every tree, and suddenly you have to go hours of traveling just to find a tree so you can get some material. Uh, yeah, you have anything to say? That's that's a crazy concept right there. Just the whole thing of you have to think about your surroundings when you're just trying to play with virtual Legos. It's it's yeah. really kind of cool to think about the whole concept of all your actions have consequences, which is a good real life lesson for those of you who are curious. And I mean, this game gives the audience so many more decisions to make than something like Lego, for instance, ever could offer. And that's just an amazing concept. I love it. Yeah, it's um, yeah, you know, one example I could give you is. With me growing up playing Minecraft, it has affected how I play games like City Builders. I love a good City Builder. Uh, shout out to City Skylines. I hate how much DLC there is, but it's an amazing game. But when I'm building my city, I don't know, sometimes I, I still have Minecraft brain, and I get scared of just building a big urban sprawl, because I'm like, that's going to wreck the land. Where's all the trees and stuff going to go? Um... Yeah, yeah, that's just one example of how it affects how I play games. I mean, I'm Another picturing in you Minecraft. in SimCity and things are getting dicey quick. <laughs> Why is it on fire? <laughs> A big thing Minecraft has over LEGO is that everything has context. What I mean by that is when you build a house, you're not just building a house like you do with LEGOs. You're building a house in an environment. Maybe it's up in a mountain, in the desert in a cold place, on the side of a hill, or at the bottom of a valley. No matter what you build in Minecraft, you have to work with the area you have around it. Unless you're one of those guys who just clear-cuts everything, flattens the world, <laughs> and then puts out a big house. Um, I I'm not going to trust you to be any kind of city planner, I'll be hey, honest. Hey, creative mode has its perks as well. <laughs> I Yeah, I love creative mode. That's what I usually play in, to be honest. Yeah, but I mean, the trees are different because you can just make more. <laughs> instead yeah. of instead of digging through your bucket of Legos trying to find one more two-hump two piece, you can just slash trees. <laughs> yeah, oh gosh. Man, that was one part of Lego that, like, it's a little meditative to look for parts, but sometimes it just gets in the way. It's a, I'll have times where it's been, like, 15 minutes and I'm still looking for a piece, and I'm like, gosh, darn it. <laughs> So yeah, Minecraft's better. <laughs> One other thing that I thought of in this context that kind of sets Minecraft apart and will kind of affect the future of design is more so from an engineering perspective, if I had to guess, and that's kind of the whole concept of the different materials having different properties. Sometimes it's in the mm -hmm. physics and stuff, sometimes it's in how they can be destroyed or how quickly they can be destroyed in different fashions and whatnot, and how different materials interact with one another, and kind of the whole... It's going back to the environmentalism you were talking about earlier and how different things behave differently and consequences occur based on your actions. But this time it's more so, I don't know any good examples because I'm not a avid Minecrafter, if that makes sense. But like yeah. this material and this material, good. This material and this material, not good. I, 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 I don't know if there are any examples you could list off, but that's a concept that's very interesting to me. Uh, I've got two things to say to that. Uh, the first one is... You're totally right. I, I think Look there's at me. 
there is an element of texture to Minecraft that Lego doesn't have. Lego bricks have all kinds of colors. They might have things printed on. Some are a little rough, but most are just smooth. Uh, Lego has a lot to do with color, and you can make texture with certain techniques. The average kid isn't doing that, though. Minecraft, however, every block has its own texture. And so when you're building, you kind of see, ah, oh, this one is really rough. This thing is smooth. How does that work together? Um, the second thing is my, the blocks themselves do have properties besides just what you see, which is really cool. Uh, the first thing I can think of is blast resistance with TNT. Cobblestone is harder to blow up than dirt, and so as a kid you're playing, you might think, oh man, I want to make my house out of the strongest material possible so it can't be blown up by anybody. And that right there is making you think about you know, the, the additional dimensions to how you make things more than just the visual or, or getting it together just to live in, suddenly kids are thinking about, you know, what kind of material do, do they want to choose for different uh, contexts. And it's some high-level stuff that kids are being able to learn just by playing. You know, they might not consciously be like, oh, I'm selecting different materials for different uh, contexts in this place here, you know? But they're, they're still doing that. It's somewhere in there that they recognize the importance of what you choose when you're building stuff. Some kind of functionality. You have to think about how things actually work and whether or not it's practical in a sense. I mean, of course, you can just build a house out of dirt and call it a day. The physics engine will let you do that unless you're using a sand or a gravel, which those are unique examples that I actually know of. Um, but the whole concept of, like you're saying, this material will work better for this than this material is a is kind of a whole mindset that works really well in the field of engineering, for instance, or even yeah. some kind of more broad design. I don't, I don't know a good example, but I, Talk, I, I love that. Talking about engineering, by the way, um, this, uh, this might be tangentially related to design. I think it is definitely. Yeah. Oh yeah. There we go. You just wrote it in the document. Redstone. Uh, <laughs> Minecraft is a big deal for teaching kids the basics of computing. Uh, if you, I remember. I was probably 12 or 13 when I started getting into redstone. This was when pistons were new, and I just really wanted to push blocks around. But I saw some tutorial online on how to make this cool door where, you know, you press a button and the blocks themselves move out of the way. And when it's closed, you don't even know there's a door. It's hidden. Stuff like that was just so cool to me. And being able to find tutorials on how to make it, I think, taught me a lot about some of the very fundamental ideas of how circuits work. And so now, you know, I'm in college doing tech education. I'm building my own circuits and learning more about that. And a lot of that stuff comes easy to me because I'm able to just relate it back to Minecraft and my time messing around with Redstone trying to make stuff work. That being said, I would not ask Cody to work on my breaker or my electrical meter, but, you know, <laughs> it's still cool to have that base knowledge. <laughs> you know what, in a couple of years, you might, though. Uh, right now, I'm doing a class where, I'm talking, where we're talking about home electrical wiring. I'm learning how to wire up not just the light bulb, but, like, all the wires that go behind the wall and how you get the switch connected and stuff. It's all cool. Yeah, that's actually really cool. I love the fact that colleges just have classes like that. <laughs> like, yeah, dude. oh my gosh, I got my two-year degree, and all the classes are like history, math, English. <laughs> my, I took a bunch of communications classes, which are coming in handy now. I'm doing a podcast. Hi, yeah. how are you doing? <laughs> but like, just, 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 yeah, this is how electricity works. <laughs> it's a really fun classroom where we're doing this, uh, this wall, like. 
the wall electricity. What's the word? <laughs> or electricing. Wiring. Stuff. Wiring, yeah. <laughs> we have a fake wall set up. It's like the actual, um, uh, what's the word for it? The studs of the wall, yeah. like the framing. Um, the stuff I look at every day. <laughs> yeah, it's everything that would be there except for the wall itself. And we just have the wires exposed and we get to play around with it. Make sure it's all unplugged before we touch anything, you know, without trying to die. I've zapped myself but a couple it's, times. It's, a cool it's not experience. fun. It's why I switched out of engineering, to be honest. Uh, a big part of it is just that I was too dumb and I was having a hard time with the math classes. But engineering as a degree, you don't, there's not much fun stuff you get to do. It's a lot of theory and math and like what equations do you use when. I kind of just wanted to mess around with stuff and build things. <laughs> you wanted to play Minecraft in real life. I, I want to play real life Minecraft. That's right. <laughs> so the people like Cody who are willing to learn the math, they I think they will have a great impact on design because they want to just mess around with these things. But if they can stomach the math, which is not something for the faint of heart, that'd be really cool. <laughs> Man, props to the real engineers who can actually do the math stuff. I'm over here just... Just making things like a schmuck. <laughs> I remember years ago. I think this might have been just after you moved, but you sent a picture and to something. I don't even remember what it was. You're like, I aspire to be an engineer one day, and you put like the ash pan on the bottom of a charcoal grill upside down. <laughs> I, 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 that was priceless. I remember that like it was yesterday. That was so funny. Yeah. I was building that grill, and uh, I finished it. And I was like, Wow, I did that. And I looked. I, I took like two looks at it. I was like, something seems kind of off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not right. <laughs> oh, that was hilarious. I am curious. This is a question we don't have any prep for, so you might not have a solid answer. But we're talking about how that Minecraft may influence design. From an architectural perspective, what do you think a building influenced heavily by Minecraft would look like? Ooh, good question. So to me, Minecraft is interesting because as you build stuff, you're walking through it physically. A lot of architecture right now, traditionally, you know, you, you ideate it, you make some drawings, and then you'll make your little scale model where you kind of have a look at it in 3D. But with the scale model, when you look at it, you're like God, <laughs> looking down <laughs> on it from thousands of feet up, you know, getting an overview of the entire building holistically. Uh, computer modeling has changed that a little bit. When you computer model, you can fly around the building, kind of look into it. And Minecraft is like a really easy way to computer model buildings. Now, you can't get the sort of detail that buildings in real life have. You're confined to that blocky grid. But I think it's really neat that kids get to build houses and walk through the house as they build it. Plus, they have to build the house in a way that they can get it together. You know, you can't just put up a wall and put up another wall and do the roof and everything, you have to be able to reach all the different places. So maybe you put up the corners first, and then you build the walls up around and, and put a roof on with some scaffolding around. Um, not only are you building the house, you're building the supports and the ability to navigate it uh, as a individual existing within that world. You're not just flying unless you're in creative. <laughs> that, that is uh, another so, good point. <laughs> so a house inspired by Minecraft it might have more consideration for the the person's experience walking through the building and uh, closer attention to detail in terms of the spatial awareness of the building itself once you're inside of it. So 
this is just my dumb brain trying to draw parallels here. You're thinking that it'll be easier for people to work on and live through in some sense, in the sense that it's designed from a more practical perspective and the fact that somebody actually had to theoretically build it in Minecraft or whatever. Kind of like the way Henry Ford had his engineers work on the production line to see what it was like so that they wouldn't screw over the production guys by making overly convoluted and impractical designs. Yeah. It, oh my gosh. It's funny that you mentioned, you know, the idea of Ford going through and, and doing this work himself and seeing how it works. Um, any design major or design professional right now might groan when I say this, but it's, you know, I'm learning it right now. And I, I, this is the truth that I'm learning. Design, especially nowadays, is all about empathy. The, the ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes and not only do that, but go the extra mile and really try to live other people's experiences and see the world through other people's eyes. And I think Minecraft is full of that when you build a house. When you're building on that human scale and walking around it, you are seeing the building through your own eyes, you know, from a user experience and a user perspective. Um, and I think this can relate to community, too. When we talk about empathy, we're talking about your place in a community, how you treat the community, and how your actions affect a community. A big part of Minecraft for a lot of people is playing on servers and being in a big group. When you play Minecraft on a server, if you want to build a town together, you're going to have to work together. It's got to be a collaborative effort of some sort. What is this place going to look like? You know, it, it might come out in different ways. It might be one person kind of dictates how everything looks and everyone follows along. You might have towns where everyone just does their own thing. But no matter what, on some level, everyone's going to have to cooperate a bit if you want a town that's close-knit and actually works. Uh, there you guys have it. Minecraft brings people together. <laughs> Cody, do you have anything else you want to get out before we wrap this thing up? Um, not too much. Our, our sheet mentions VR right at the end. Uh, Minecraft VR is super fun. I think... The future is going to be full of VR, and we're going to be designing and building things within a virtual reality space. And Minecraft is going to be an amazing introduction to virtual reality for people. In the way that like Mario was a good introduction to 3D gameplay and graphics for kids in the late 90s. <laughs> when we were going through making the sheet, we were kind of just half-assed throwing down the idea like, oh, let's touch on VR maybe. And we had something about like, oh, when we're old, we'll all have VR headsets. I'm like, yeah, no, it's going to be cool. We won't be sitting on the porches groaning about the youth. We'll be sitting on our VR porches groaning about the VR youth. Uh, I can't wait to sit on my VR Minecraft porch when I'm old. <laughs> it's going to be so much fun. But if you were to give a four-minute or less summary of what we've just said, do that. Make it make it right. short enough. Make it less than a minute so I can upload it to YouTube with no issues. Okay. <laughs> oh, God. Let's see. I have to organize my thoughts a little bit. I'll try to follow the structure we took in this episode. So, I think Minecraft will affect the future of design because we're going to live in a world full of kids who are Minecraft kids. You know, there's over 200 million Minecraft players right now. And I know for certain a lot of architects are going to say, oh yeah, I got into architecture when I played Minecraft as a kid and got to build houses. One day our cities are going are literally going to be shaped by the kids playing Minecraft today. That's crazy to me. We've seen this before. Kids growing up with stuff like Legos and Froebel's Gifts grow up and you know change the world to how they see it. 
and how they see the world is affected by, you know, how they grew up as a kid and the things they played with. Minecraft plays right into that. It's going to change our world. We're going to see people maybe more focused on how, you know, their actions affect the world around them, how they interact with people. And I think people might be more empowered to change the world around them because as a kid, they were empowered to change the Minecraft world uh, around them. That's my case. That was very eloquent, very well said, and I appreciate that. That's going on YouTube as a short. Subscribe yeah. to the YouTube if you haven't already. Nonetheless, I think that one's going to wrap up this episode, episode 15 of the Analog Sticks podcast. Thank you guys very much for listening. If you haven't already, rate, review, like, follow, comment, subscribe, all the engagement. Just do it. We really appreciate it. For myself, Rusty Nails, as well as the uh, pilot of this episode, Cody, thank you very much for listening. We will see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you, guys.